If you look at your bulletin outline this morning, we're looking at the uh, two Adams that are mentioned in Romans chapter 5. The first being the natural Adam, the one we all know, Adam the sinner. I would say you all know this Adam, but I already started out by saying we had a little boy in Sunday school one time that came from, from just the parents dropping off. He didn't know who Adam was or who Eve was. But generally, you do. You know that. You know all about this Adam. He is the Adam that Jesus created out of the dust of the ground and into whom he breathed the breath of life. This is the Adam of the Garden of Eden. This is the Adam whom God made Lord over all of creation, a ruler over the earth, a ruler over its animal kingdoms. This is the Adam from whom God took a rib and fashioned a woman as his helper and wife whom Adam named Eve. This is the Adam who had free reign of paradise. This is the Adam who had but one, just one rule from God, not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil which grew in the midst of Eden. Genesis 2, verse 17. Now how long Adam and Eve lived free of sin in the garden paradise, we do not know. May have been months, may have been years. But the day came when the liar, Satan, deceived Eve with his promise that disobedience would make her wise like God. I mean, just think about the premise of that. Disobey and you'll be like God. Well, she took of the forbidden fruit. She ate of it. She gave it to Adam who was right there and he ate too. And everything, everything changed for humanity and for all of creation from that day onward. The curse of God kicked in. Here it is. When you eat of it, the forbidden tree, God said, you will surely die. Genesis 2, verse 17. Well, they ate, they died. Now, not physically right then and there, but physically eventually, but spiritually right then and there, they died towards God. Now Paul picks up the narrative at this juncture by explaining in our text the consequences of Adam's disobedience. It begins in verse 12, Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, here it is, Just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sin. For before the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Verse 12 and 13. First consequence, sin entered the world. Our existence. In a previous study, we learned that this was not the beginning of sin. Sin was first found in heaven with the disobedience and revolt of Satan, who was at that time known as the anointed cherub. Yet in his pride, he determined, he determined that he would attempt a coup to become like the Most High, like God. In short, to displace God with himself. This kind of self-idolatry has been, you know, it's been in humanity from, from the point of this fall in the garden. 
onward. And where did we get this idea? It came from the liar. Well, he didn't become like the Most High. Instead, he was thrown out of heaven to the earth. And by the way, it says a third of the angelic population along with him. So this was a substantial coup attempt anyway. He took a third of those angels with him and they became what we know to be the demonic influences of our day. But they were thrown to this to the earth and so this planet and its inhabitants came under Satan's influence. He wasted little time lying to and deceiving Eve and convincing Adam to sin with her. Paul tells us in Timothy, she was deceived, Adam was not. He sinned wide-eyed, wide open, knowing what he was doing. Eve was deceived or tricked. But let me say that when he listened to his wife, he was also listening to Satan and buying into the lie. And Paul tells us that This resulted in sin entering the world through one man. Now, if you ever had the thought that the actions of one person doesn't count for much, you need to think again. Through Adam's disobedience, the perfect man became the sinner man. And the sinner man was destined to reproduce sinner children. And sinner children were destined to spoil the earth and everything in it. Plants do not sin. Animals do not sin. But mankind's sin spoils and destroys the beauty and the tameness and the serenity of these realms. That's why there are such things as wild animals. They're wild Their nature has changed in reference to man because of man's sin. And they, along with man, Romans 8, were cursed by God because of Adam's transgression. Let me say it this way. Paradise became poisoned and innocence was lost. Sin entered the world and nothing has been the same since. Second consequence, death came through sin. Sin entered and then something else entered, death. And in this view, sin is viewed here by Paul as a doorway. It's kind of like a floodgate through which death made its entrance. Now the evolutionists of our day are wrong in asserting that death has always been part of the natural world. They need death to support Darwin's hypothesis of survival of the fittest. And by survival, they mean the strong kill off death, kill off the weak. So death, in their view, is a friend. You know, the species survives because the strong are always killing off the weak. However, God calls death, and I'll read it for you here, the last enemy that we all must face. 
1 Corinthians 15, verse 26. Because physical death is, as John teaches, but the portal to what he calls the second death. Revelation 20, verse 14 says, The lake of fire is the second death. You, you see, for the unbeliever, they, they got a couple deaths to face. There's physical death. They don't like that either. But, you know, if evolution is true, then who are you going to give an account to when you die? Nobody. An, an amoeba? Hello, protoplasm. No, you have no accountability, and that's why they get rid of God. Satan, the murderer from the beginning, John 8, verse 44, convinces men that death is their friend. And that is why suicides are at an all-time high in Lapeer County. And this is why euthanasia of the elderly or of the retarded hold as much weight in modern American thinking as in Nazi Germany. Now let's just get rid of them. They're old anyway. They're 80 years old. They're 90s year old. They are a burden on our health system. They cost a lot of money. Let's give them a shot and liquidate them. But you know God sees no such friendship with death. Folks, God pronounced death as what? A curse. A curse for sin. Adam sinned. Death came. The curse became a reality for him and his posterity. There have been some terrible, terrible stories of late in our news media. In Afghanistan, there are riots right now in the street because some Americans burned copies of the Koran. And the Muslims are rioting in the streets. And today, I just heard this morning, two more were added. Four, now four Americans have been killed by the rioting in Afghanistan. Now, even by their own faith, if you have something, if, if the crayon gets worn out, you know, like your Bibles get worn out or whatever, the proper way of disposing them is to burn them. It's like, what do we do with old flags in the United States? We had an old flag, got really tattered out here. I took it to the veterans of foreign wars up on Daly Road because they have a ceremony and they burn them. It's not disrespect. It's how we deal with something that's old. And so guess what? They found markings in these Korans that were blasphemous. And so the government of the United States had them burned. You would think, you would think, that's a plus. You know, that's respect. They're riding in the streets. Al-Assad's reign of terror in his own country of Syria, in which over 8,000 of his own citizens have been murdered to date. It's in the news. We don't know what to do with this guy, this dictator. No amount of world pressure seems to stop the killing. Or, a little closer to home, a father who snatched his children from a social worker at his door then bolted the door behind him, then killed his boys, and then set the house on, the fire, on fire and killed himself as well. 
This is going on in our world today. And we cringe at such horror stories. What kind of ruler kills his own people? What kind of father murders his own children so that his estranged wife will be deprived of them? Horrible. Horrible. But these accounts, these accounts pale in comparison to what Adam did. Adam killed the entire race. Every man, every woman, every child on earth has Adam's nature as their own. His nature of sin nets them sin's wages, which is death. Paul puts it this way. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22. In Adam all die. Very succinct and very powerful. In Adam all die. Our text says something very similar. Verse 12. In this way, death came to all men. That is because of Adam's sin. May I say death is not natural to creation. It was, it is a punishment from God for sin. And so long as there is sin, death remains, but... It was not so from the beginning. It wasn't part of Eden. It wasn't part of creation. Something very, very bad happened to mess things up. And the very, very bad was Adam playing God. Adam opposing his own subordinate role as a creature of God by attempting to be the master of his own destiny. A suggestion he got from the evil one. And when Adam began to believe in his own thinking to be as good as or superior to God's, God slapped him with the promised curse of death. Sin entered the world and death through sin. Now if it would have ended there, that would have been one thing and it would have been tragic in its own right to be sure. But not nearly so devastating as killing the entire race. And so that's the third point in our outline, Adam's representation headship. According to verse 12, sin was introduced into our world through Adam and death through sin. Verse 12, the latter part says, In this way sin came to all men. Now notice the next phrase, because all sinned. What do you think that means? I would suggest to you that when most people read that phrase, because all sin, they think. But of course, all of us are sinners. There is not one who is righteous, not even one. We quote Romans 3, verse 10. In other words, we define the phrase according to our own experience of being active sinners. And we are active sinners, reaping what we sow in terms of sinful behavior. That's true. But let me suggest, however, that though this is taught elsewhere in Scripture, it is not what Paul is teaching here. Paul is dealing with something far more basic and far more extensive. He is talking about Adam and how Adam's sin ruined the race and brought death upon it. So when he says, because all sinned, he is not referring to personal sin, 
though it's true that we all sin personally, but rather he is referring to Adam's representative role in sin and the consequence of his sinful representation. Now, how do we know this? Well, if you're reading from the King James Version of the Bible, you will see that verse 13 and 14 are in parenthesis. Translators putting it that way. Or if you're reading from a more modern translation like NIV or uh, the English Standard, Standard Version, there'll be a dash mark after verse 12. And what this means is that Paul is intentionally interrupting himself in his thought processes. He's thinking, you know, I had better take some time to explain what I mean by the words because all sin. Because he knows that people are going to miss the point that he's trying to make about Adam's representative, representative role if they think of this to mean their own personal sin. And so he interrupts his own thoughts with this explanation. For before the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin is not taken into account when there's no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Why does he stop there? Why is he picking just that little time slot? You have to ask yourself that. Isn't death reigning today? See what he's doing. He's dealing with something different. Death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. From our side of history, we know that sin is defined as breaking the law of God. Our minds go to the Ten Commandments, which God laid down His moral code. And if we break one of those commands, we recognize such as sin. In fact, the Apostle John says in 1 John 3, verse 4, he defines sin this way. He says, sin is lawlessness. Sin is breaking God's law. Okay, so far so good. But what do we say about all those generations that existed before the law of Moses was given? Paul answers, verse 13, Before the law, sin was in the world. Well, how do we know sin was in the world? If sin is breaking the law, but the law hasn't come yet, and he says sin was in the world. How do we fit this all together? Well, we know sin was in the world because guess what? People died. That's how we know. They died. Which is the wages of sin, right? Now here's the question. Why did they die? No law yet. No breaking of the law. So why did they die? We say, well, they sin. No, no, no. Look at verse 13, latter part. Sin is not taken into account. It's not reckoned. It's not counted. It's not calculated when there is no law. Which is exactly what we have from the time slot between Adam and Moses. And so if God does not, if He did not count something as sin, when there was no law prohibiting it, why did people 
die. A year ago or so, the Michigan legislation banned smoking in all public areas, probably most significant, all restaurants. Prior to that, the best we had was designated areas in a restaurant, and you had to choose between smoking or non-smoking. Say, what's your point? The point is that prior to the ban, prior to the ban, no smoker could be accused of the infraction because the ban was not in place. Do you get it? Now that the ban is in place, everyone understands the new rule and all the restaurants comply. You don't have to say to the hostess at the front door, smoking or non-smoking. You just go and you know it's going to be non-smoking because that's the ban. A smoker could not be accused of breaking the law before the ban was in place. But the ban changed the status of all smokers in public places. Now, it is a violation of the law to smoke in those areas. Probably this all came about because of studies on secondhand smoke, and it's a good thing. If you're a smoker this morning, I'm not picking on you. But I'm just saying that that's how it came to be. Now, understand the principle. Paul observes here in this analysis, verse 14, Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, listen to this, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command. Because there's no command. There's no Ten Commandments. There's no law yet. But death is still reigning over them even though they don't have a command to break. Here's the, to- here's the point. Ten commandments or no, death was still having a heyday. I mean, just think of all the people who died by the thousands from Adam to Moses. In that time period, what do we got? Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire raining from heaven. The great flood that killed all the population. The wars, rumors of wars. The effects of old age and disease and accidents. Death reigned from Adam to Moses. Death was everywhere. How could this be? The answer? Through identification with Adam's sin as the representative of the race. In Adam all die. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22. The same point that Paul is making in our text. And brethren, this is the doctrine of federal headship because Adam was the first man because of that. His actions are central to everything else that follows. When he sinned, you and I sinned with him, in him, Because of our union with Him. He's our dad. Oh, and we can't disallow the union. We cannot say, (laughs) well, I'm not a son of Adam. I'm not a daughter of Adam. The Human Genome Project, I don't know if you've done any reading on that, 
It has concluded that all of us, listen to this, all of us, every person, every race, including black people, Hispanics, Orientals, and so on, all of us, every person, every race from every culture has issued from one female seed giving new support to Eve as the mother of all living, Genesis 3, verse 20, and by implication, sons and daughters of Adam who fathered us. During the civil war of our country, certain southern states tried to succeed from the federal government. They tried to disallow their role in the Union, well, they were called rebels. The blue bellies of the northern armies were identified as Union soldiers because one of the major tenets of the war was to preserve the Union. You can't just say, I'm not going to be a state anymore of the United States. If you say that, we're coming after you. And brethren, like it or not, Adam is the unifying figure of the entire human race. He stands as the first man. He stands and we stand or fall with him. So when he fell, therefore, we fell in him. And that is why death came upon all of his posterity. Say, well, I don't think I like Adam's representation. You can say it as kindly as I can. And say it, he was the perfect representative. Perfect. Think about this. Sinless in his creation. Living in a sinless environment. Restricted by only one regulation, not ten commandments, not hundreds of commandments. Possessor of all his faculties, mental and spiritual. That was Adam in Eden. But we, on the other hand, we're sinners by birth, we're sinners by choice, we live in a cursed environment, we're restricted by multiple rules from God, we're weak in our understanding, we're defective spiritually, and you think you could have done better if you just had to go toe-to-toe with God personally, forget the rep, just me and you, God, I think I can represent myself better than Adam did. We by ourselves accountable only for our own sin would not and do not fare as well as Adam. And yet, this is not the end of the story. The representation in Adam is why the race dies. That brings us to the second point in the outline. Jesus as the last Adam. By the way, it's not called the second Adam. It's called the last Adam. There's a reason for that. Now, Adam had a representation and Jesus has a representation. What we disdain in Adam's representation because he was such a failure, we should come to appreciate in Jesus because he was such a success. 
There are differences, of course, between Adam, the first man, and Jesus, the last Adam. But observe, firstly and foremost, the similarities. The key point being this. Just as Adam represented humanity to the degree that his actions affected all whom he represented, so Christ represents his people to the degree that his actions affect all whom he represents. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. For since death came through a man, resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 21. Or in our text, Romans 5, verse 15 and 16. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, that's Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, how much more does that overflow to many? What's he saying? He's saying Adam was a killer, but Jesus is the dispenser of God's grace. Hallelujah. Again, he writes, the gift of God's not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin, brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought, what did it bring? Justification, or we would say salvation. Romans 5, verse 15 and 16. Adam the sinner killed the race, and Jesus the Savior saves the race. Now, they're, they're both representative, you understand. Wow, what a difference in the results. And if it be true that in Adam all die, the rest of the verse, which I have not been reading up to this point, but the rest of the verse is also true. If in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22. That is, all that are in Christ will be made alive. Now, the principle involved here is the same. It's the same. And that's why Paul's got this in here in Romans 5. Namely, that people die because of their union with sinful Adam and people live because of their union with Jesus. Jesus being the Savior and the giver of life eternal. The representative headship applies in both situations. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. That is, that body of clay came to life. The last Adam is a life-giving spirit. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45. Resurrection from being spiritually made alive by Christ. The great miracle given, not earned, for being united in Christ and His work. So that brings us to the truth that Paul has in this text, that Adam, the first Adam, was a type of Christ in the sense of headship thing. George recently did a paper on the two Adams in which he explained what Paul meant in verse 14 when he said, Adam was a pattern of the one to come. Pattern is the Greek word tupas, from which we get the word type. And it means the mark left by a die in the stamping of metal. I think most of us would think of the minting of coinage 
that goes on in governments. And you would be right. That is exactly how the term was firstly used. A die is pressed hard into malleable metal and in so doing it leaves its mark, its image on the coin. Believe it or not, Adam of Eden is a type, a stamped image for the one to come, Jesus Christ. Now, not in every way, not as a sinner, not as a disobedient creature of God, but as a pattern of one who, as a man, in this case the God-man, Jesus, represents a nation of people for life or death, but in Jesus' case, for life. In that representative headship position, Jesus is like the first Adam. Similarities. You've got to be careful. You don't want to bring everything over, but the similarity in terms of headship. The contrasts, however, are as important as the similarities. Paul writes in verses 17 and following, For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Now he's beginning to show contrast, you see. Consequently, just as the result of the one trespass was condemnation for all men, that's Adam, that's what he gave us, so also the result of one act of righteousness was Justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. What we have here is the great reversal of all the damage that the first Adam did. Every bad thing, every... Judgment for sin. Every consequence for being identified with sinful Adam is reversed in the last Adam. And this is why you need Jesus more than ever. If you just stick with Adam as your rep, you're in trouble. You see, to be represented by the first Adam, all that has to occur is that you be born a human being. Which none of you can deny. I might add that this is one reason, too, why evolutionists believe in evolution and why they believe in Adam and Eve as fairy tales. They don't want this connection. But you are Adam's children, like it or not, because he was the father of the race as Eve was the mother of the race. So if you are human, Adam is your father. Great, 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 great. <laughs> However many greats it is to go all the way back. But that's the facts. To be represented by the last Adam, Jesus Christ, you have to be born again. Born again. This time, not of the flesh, but of the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. As Jesus taught Nicodemus, 
Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, Nicodemus, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and born of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, that's Adam, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit of Christ. You should not be surprised at my saying that you must be born again. John 3, verse 5 through 7. Now what is the contrast between these two Adams? Let me suggest three. Natural versus supernatural. That's one. Verse 15, the gift is not like the trespass. Here's the first contrast. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift, the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. Don't get hung up here on the word many. When we hear the word many, we think numbers. We think quantity. How many are coming to the party tonight? Whatever. But Paul was thinking of the union of the race under Adam and the union of the saved with Christ. He's not thinking quantitatively. So when he speaks of the many who died as a result of Adam's sin, he means all people because guess what? In Adam all die. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22. All would be a lot of many, wouldn't it? <laughs> Think about that. Yeah, let's see, all many. Mm-hmm. Or again, when he says that God's grace or the gift of grace issues in life, that it overflowed to many, he means on the many who are the recipients of this grace, which are believers. And that's many too. In fact, you can read about it in the book of Revelation where John says it's an innumerable host of people from every nation, tribe, and language. So what is the contrast between the many of Adam and the many of Christ? Well, To be among the recipients of Adam's trespass and therefore the curse of death, all you have to do is be born. You inherit that. Death is part of the curse and the curse is now part of the natural world in which we live. God doesn't have to do anything for you to die. Adam did that for you. For nature to take its course, as we say, you just have to be a human being. But, and here is the contrast, for a person to come under the federal representation of Christ and to benefit from His gift of life, one must have a supernatural work performed. And it has to be by God Himself, the giver of life and Christ of eternal life. The important contrast here is this. You don't earn this. You don't inherit this as with Adam's sinful nature. It's a gift, Paul says, a gift of God, of God's grace. He says it later in Romans 6. Here it is. The wages of sin is death. That's what you get for being under Adam's representation. But, The rest of the verse goes on. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6 verse 23. So we have firstly here 
a contrast in recipients. All men die in Adam, all believing, all who come in new birth live in Christ. It's his gift. That's a contrast. One Adam gives you death. The last Adam grants you life. Second contrast is in the effects of the two Adams' representation. Verse 16, the effect of Adam's behavior, one sin issued in judgment, Paul says, and condemnation. I mean, if we just stopped here and could say of Adam that, the, that he only committed just this one sin, this just one sin, it was such a sin through his representation, as we have seen, that killed the whole race. Only the blood of Jesus could have eradicated the effects of that one sin. But we know this is hypothetical because there has followed all of Adam's remaining 930 years of living, Genesis 5 verse 5, in which he sinned again and again and again and again. And his posterity, Cain, Abel, and all the rest, millions of people committing billions of sin. But it started out with one. So by one sin, all are condemned. By one act of righteousness, justification comes for all who believe. With Jesus' gift of life, it followed, we are told in this text, many trespasses resulting in justification. We sing it in the hymn, Oh, the love that sought me. Oh, the blood that bought me. Oh, the grace that brought me to the fold. Wondrous Christ that brought me, brought me to the fold. What an act of work, the second. The second sin came into our lives. God was right there, Genesis 3 and verse 15 talking about the seed of the woman that would come and crush the serpent's head. Looked like he won. Looked like Satan won. And he, boy, he sure killed. The murderer killed the whole race through Adam's representation. Ah, but there's the seed of the woman that's coming that's going to crush his head. The final contrast is that the reign of death versus the reign of life. Look at verse 17. And note the phrase, God's abundant provision of grace. We know that the Bible teaches that all of creation is awaiting the return of Christ, Romans 8, when the curse will be lifted and everything will be made new. I'm looking forward to that. You're looking forward to that. We think of this as restoration and our thoughts go to such things as Eden being restored and most importantly, humanity being restored to where it was before Adam sinned. But far more is promised than that, folks. The phrase is abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Ephesians 3, verse 20, and that comes to mind. Those redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ are not simply rescued from the effects of the fall. They're not simply restored. 
but we are to reign in life through Jesus Christ, verse 17. Dr. Lloyd-Jones' comment from his work on Romans in this point is worth citing. Let me read it for you. He writes, It is not only that we are forgiven, but an over and above being forgiven, the righteousness of Jesus Christ of Jesus Christ is put to our account, is put upon us. Unfallen Adam was righteous. Unfallen now. Unfallen Adam was righteous, but it was his own righteousness as a created being. It was the righteousness of a man. Adam never had the righteousness of Jesus Christ upon him. What he lost was his own righteousness. But you and I are not merely given back a human righteousness, the righteousness that Adam had before he fell. No, we are given the righteousness of Jesus Christ, much more abundance, superabundance, give full weight to it, writes Lloyd-Jones, we receive this abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Jesus' righteousness. Now, folks, that's far better than Adam ever had. Just as there is a reign of death for all whose union goes no further... Then with sinful Adam, so there is a reign of life for all who by faith are united to righteous Jesus. And I have to ask, which is it for you this morning? I know you're a child of sinful and fallen Adam by birth, but are you a child of Christ Jesus through rebirth? You cannot escape the association with Adam unless and until you are reborn by the spirit of the last Adam. And by the way, there's no third Adam, there's no fourth Adam. All humanity consists of but two groups. Slaves of the first Adam because of his sin, or slaves of Jesus Christ because of his righteousness. Adam's slavery ends in judgment and condemnation, verse 18. Jesus One act of righteousness resulted in justification or salvation for His people. Only Jesus can free us from the consequence of Adam's headship. Verse 21 says, Just as sin reigned in death, and you can read about it again in verse 14, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In closing, I want you to just think about this. Think about the Supreme, Supreme Court. No, it's not in Washington. The Supreme, Supreme Court of Heaven. Who do you want as your defense attorney? Jeffrey Freiger of Detroit. Or Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul writes about Jesus. 
There's one God, writes Paul, and one mediator. The word is an advocate or lawyer. One lawyer between God and man. And that's the man, Christ Jesus, the last Adam. Who, he goes on to say, gave his self a ransom for all. And he means all kinds of men. First Timothy 2, verse 5. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's the supreme, supreme court. Now think about this. The judgment seat of Christ. The judge sitting on the bench is Jesus Christ. John 5, Jesus says, The Father judges no man, but has committed all judgment to the Son so that men may honor the Son like they honor the Father. God is out to get glory for His Son as the Savior. Now think about this. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, says Paul, to give an account of ourselves before Him. So there you are, you're in the court, Judge is Jesus Christ. And Paul says, in the text we quoted, 1 Timothy 2 5, Jesus Christ is also the lawyer for his people. You say, wait a minute, wait a minute. That sounds like a rigged court to me. The judge is Jesus, and the lawyer for his people is Jesus. You mean Jesus is pleading our case before himself? How safe is that? Going to be any objections from the prosecutors that are going to be permitted? Satan, the accuser of the brethren, disallow, disallow, disallow. Why? The lawyer says, well, you know, judge, I died for Fred's sin. I died for Starla's sin. I died for Carol's sin. Mr. Slanderer here has no case. He is the evil one. These are children of me. My headship is over them. What I accomplished through my cross work through my righteous life, counts for them. My righteousness has been brought over and put on their ledger, on their account. Brethren, that's the good news of the gospel. We need to tell sinners that. You don't have to be under the headship of Adam till you die and go to hell. You can come under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ through faith and repentance. And Paul brings in this federal headship business in Romans 5 so that we get the point. Just as people are condemned because of Adam, they're saved because of the work of the last Adam. And what we disdain in the first Adam and the sin that he brought to us, we love in the last Adam because he brought righteousness and the gift of eternal life to all who will believe. Is that you this morning? It should be you. 
Well, I'll tell you what, you should be running. If you don't know Christ, you ought to be running. I, wanna, I want that lawyer defending me before that judge. Praise God for His great grace. Father, we thank You for Your Word. This is a hard concept, I think, for us to get. that we, We're lost in Adam, but we're saved in Christ. God, help us to see it. It's the truth of Your Word. What a great representative Jesus Christ is for His people. He lived the life Adam should have lived, could have lived. He wouldn't have listened to the evil temptation of Satan. And then on top of that, our advocate died to pay for our sins in our place. So it isn't like he just swept the sins under the carpet. He paid for them. Guess what? The ledger's clean. When God looks at the ledger, he sees the righteousness of Christ. Doesn't see all of our blackness and our sinfulness. And it's grace that does this. We didn't earn this. God just came in among humanity. And grants as a gift life to some life to many and he snatches us Paul says out of the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light glorious kingdom of light Lord for those here today that are sapped by their strength and they're bound by their sin and they're part of the kingdom of darkness dawn on them O Christ with the power of your spirit to bring them out of darkness into life out of the headship of Adam to the headship of the last Adam. Praise be to your glorious grace for so wonderful a salvation. In Jesus' name we give you thanks. Amen. Heart.